Amen. Well, it's certainly very bold and brave to come up and uh, share your testimony. So can we give another round of applause to Amy and to Dan? Um, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard to share in your story like that, and especially when you go into all the, all the gritty details of what has, what has happened and how God has uh, redeemed both of them. And I know there's other people in, in this room who have had similar stories or similar encounters with Christ. Um, and it's just a it's so encouraging and awesome to see when people connect with the purpose and the destiny that God has for their, their lives and the encounter, the radical love and grace that Jesus has to offer them. It's absolutely awesome. Um, and that's a little bit what, what I want to share about tonight is about our purpose uh, and destiny for life in the fact that we are handmade to worship. Um, as you know, uh, in, in, in the sport of greyhound racing, where... where, where <laughs> Totally off topic, uh, where greyhounds run, run round a track. They, have, they, they follow like a little rabbit that runs on a little, little rail round the track. Uh, and, and their purpose is to run after that rabbit as fast as they can. Um, uh, one time I was reading this story earlier this week uh, in, in Florida. Uh, everyone was ready for the race. The dogs were in the cages. Uh, the buzzer went off. The, uh, the gun went. Uh, the rabbit went on its, on, on its course around the track and the, and the, uh, the the doors opened and the dogs ran after, after the rabbit. And then halfway around the first bend, there was an electrical short, uh, and the rabbit burst into flames, stopped and exploded. Um, uh, and none of the dogs knew what to do. You know? So some of them just ran around in circles, some of them chased their tails, one of them ran into a wall and broke its rib, the others just kind of started barking, barking at the spectators. Not a single dog finished the race, because they, they lost a sense of purpose. They didn't know what, they didn't know what to do. But that can be a little bit like, like us, can't it, in terms of when we, when we lose sight of focus and purpose in life, often it get, life gets very complicated, life gets very messy, life gets very hard, and even as Christians that we can claim that we have a sense of a purpose and destiny in life, even among, uh, amongst our faith, we can start to question, what are, we, what are we doing here? What are we meant to be doing? How are we meant to be doing it? What is, what is the purpose of all of this? When we're going through struggle, when we're going through hardship, life can get very cloudy. Life can, life can get very dim, can't it? And we can lose a sense of purpose. We can lose a sense of destiny. And that's what I want to encourage you guys tonight and just remind us of what our creative purpose is tonight. Because Paul tells us that we need to be like runners running a race with our eyes fixed on the prize, our eyes fixed on the purpose so that we might finish that race. So turn with me if you've got your Bibles or if you've got a device to Psalm 148. That's what I'll be looking at tonight. It's right at the end of the Psalms, so just turn to the end of the Psalms, and it's a couple of Psalms back from there, Psalm 148. I'm not going to be long tonight, um, then we can spend a bit more time in, in worship and, and praise. And we'll have the words on the screen. So Psalm 148, it says, starts off, praise the Lord. Now, in other translations, that will that, be hallelujah, because hallelujah just means Praise God, praise the Lord. Halle means to praise, like hail. And then Yah in hallelujah means, uh, it's a shortened form of God's name, Yahweh. So hallelujah, it means praise God or praise the Lord. That, that bit's for free. Uh, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights uh, above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that they will never pass away. 
Now, you might recognize some of those words from the, from the, from the hit song, Great Empower by Hillsong in the 1990s. You know, it goes, praise the new heavens and all that's above. For, for those that love 90s Hillsong songs, for anyone else, never mind, that's okay. But that's kind of where Darlene Sheck, or whoever wrote that song, got, got it from. Um, so the psalmist first declares that the heavens declare the glory of God. And when, we, when he refers to the heavens, he, he refers to two things. One, he refers to the spiritual realm, you know, the spiritual heavenly realm. But he also refers to the, you know, the objects of the sky. So when, in the Bible, the heavens can often refer to the sky, the objects of the universe, so the moon and the stars um, and, and, the, and the night sky. You know, and in Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, think about the expanse of the universe tonight. You know, probably not tonight because it's a little bit light, but later on or maybe as we head into towards winter, you can, you can look up at the starry night and you can think about the expanse of the universe and how, and how big it is. You know, scientists estimate that there are about 100 billion, sorry, about 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe, universe of what we can see. And in each galaxy, there's about 100 billion stars. So that's 10 billion galaxies, each with 100 billion stars. Now, do a little bit of simple math, and that's uh, 1 billion trillion stars in the universe. That's a lot of stars. And yet, they're not, they're not, really, they're not really there for us. They're good for us to look at. We can see a few of them as speckles in the night sky. But really, they were handmade to worship. They exist to glorify God because God desires and must be worshipped. You know, and even a star is no small thing. Our sun you know, is an average-sized star. You know, it's a pretty average star. You know, but there are stars that are 100 times bigger than our sun. But even the sun is, you know, is pretty big. Um, I read that one second of the sun's energy output uh, could meet the Earth's energy demands for 700,000 years. So one second, in one second of the sun's energy output, can meet our entire energy demands. And we're a pretty energy-consuming lot, aren't we? I mean, think of all of the devices that you've got plugged in at home right now whilst you're at church. Um, you know, it could meet our energy demands for 700,000 years. And yet each one, each star, each sun in its own solar system, in its own galaxy, was handmade to worship, just to glorify God. The fact that the sun even warms our earth and gives, a, gives us life, it's just an added extra, really, to the purpose of the sun. Its main purpose is to glorify God and to show off his beauty and his splendor. The fact that we have life because of it is just, you know, a little bit, a little tidbit on the side, isn't it? So God desires praise from his creation. You know, and in, he so desires praise from his creation that even in, even in the heavenly realms he has created beings that continually praise him. Revelation talks about the cherubim which surround God's throne which continually cry out day and night holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. They cry that out continually. Why? Because God desires to be glorified. So the psalmist declares that the, the heavens declare the glory of God, that the praise comes from the heavens. And then in verse 7, he turns his, his focus to the earth. And he says, in verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth. So, so first of all, from the heavens, but now praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars. 
wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. I think that's it. That's fine. So the psalmist then declares that not just the heavens, but also the earth declares the glory of God. And these two things, the heavens and the earth, these two are the great orchestras which give glory and continual praise to God, the heavenly realm and the, and the earthly realm. You know, uh, me and my wife Claire, we've been watching a little bit of that Blue Planet 2 on Netflix a while ago. We don't have TV, so I have to catch up like a few months later when it comes onto Netflix. But I'm, I'm just in awe of, of creation, you know, just seeing like, uh, like the footage of like whales swimming together, like in a group of whales, normally you just see a whale swimming by it on its own, don't you? But like a, a group of whales swimming and kind of catching fish together and just seeing this, these, these amazing things in the ocean, just looking at the splendor of creation, I mean, all of it, it's just amazing. And yet when you think about how great creation is, well then how much greater is the one who created those things? It's creator. We can just be in, in awe of God's creation. And God's creation is meant to, is meant to glorify God in, in our own eyes. That we look at creation and we think, wow, God is big. God is good. God is sovereign. And that's amazing. And the thing is, we are included within that list of created things. So when, when the psalmist talks about, you know, praising from the earth, he talks about, you know, the, the clouds and the winds and, and, and the storm and the hail and, the, you know, the winds that do his bidding, that, you know, that obey his commands. And then he turns his attention to us, you kings and you princes, you rulers, old men and children, um, men and women. We are included within that, that list of created things, meaning that the original creative purpose of our lives is to glorify God. In that we are in that category along with all of creation. We are, the, we are the pinnacle of that creation. You know, we are God's best design in all of that creation. But yet we exist along with it all to glorify God. And that is our creative purpose. You know, so much so that in the Westminster Catechism, you might ask what a catechism is, but it's just a series of kind of uh, questions and answers to teach people about, about God. There's a question, what is the chief end of man? And some of you will know the answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. That's what life is all about, to glorify God in all that we do, in all that we say, in how we live, and to enjoy him forever. And I'm so thrilled that, that Amy and Dan and so many others in, in, this, in this place tonight are enjoying the love and the grace and the favor of God. You know, now it doesn't mean that we should all quit our jobs and spend all of our days singing along to Hillsong and Bethel. You know, because our sole purpose is to worship God, so therefore, oh, we should only be singing praise songs forever. You know, and every minute of the day, I've got to have my iPod plugged in and listening to some sort of worship songs. Because, after all, God's already got created beings that already do that, that already continually praise him day and night. That's not our primary role of worship. That's not our primary function of worship. Instead, creation glorifies God, one, by its splendor, but also, two, by its obedience to God's commands. So God says shine, and the sun shines. God says blow, and the wind blows. God says rain, and the heavens open. Sometimes a bit too often that I'd like, but it still does it. Creation obeys God's commands. And likewise, true and proper worship is obedience to God's commands. It's living God's way. That's what true worship looks like. John said in the gospel, Jesus said in the Gospels, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, 
keep my commands. And what Paul says to the Roman church, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what Jesus and Paul tell us is that to truly worship God is to offer our lives as like a living sacrifice and live lives in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. That's what worship looks like. I mean, it's great that we're all here tonight singing songs of praise and worship. That's great. We shouldn't, we shouldn't discount that. But it's got to overflow into every, every area of our lives so that in every area of our life, we might say with confidence, I'm living holy and pleasing to God. So put it this way, are the words of your mouth and the attitudes of your heart holy and pleasing to God? Is how you parent and disciple your kids holy and pleasing to God? Is the way that you talk to your spouse when you're a bit irate holy and pleasing to God? Are the times which you turn up to work or your work ethic holy and pleasing to God? Is the way that you manage your finances holy and pleasing to God? Because that is worship. And to obey his commands and to think, God, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I want to live for you and be so careful to keep your word as it's laid out in your scripture. You see, true and proper worship should not just exist here in a, in a worship service, in a church service. but should overflow into every area of our lives. The psalmist then kind of concludes his psalm in, in verse 13. It says, let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. So again, he says that the two great orchestras, the heavens and the earth, are praising God. And we are part of that orchestra. You are part of an orchestra tonight in glorifying God with your life. Then he finishes with this verse. He says, And he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise God the Lord. You can keep that verse on. That would be great, guys. Now, this horn that the, the, the psalmist mentions, that's kind of symbolic of like a strong and a mighty king. Just if you think of like, if you go into Jack's farm, you might see a, a strong tup, you know, with, with big horns. You might think, that's a strong tup because it's, it's, got, it's got some big horns. A, a horn is symbolic of like a, like a strong and a mighty king. They were anointed with a, with a horn filled with, filled with oil. But really, this is a foreshadow and a picture of of Christ, of someone that has raised, been raised up on our behalf to redeem us. In Luke 1, it says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So the Bible talks about Jesus being like a, being like a horn of salvation, a strong and a mighty king that has been raised up to redeem us. And what, what this shows is that glorifying God is not just our creative purpose. It's not just the reason that we were created, but it's also our redemptive purpose, meaning that we are, we are redeemed to glorify God. Yeah? We are, that God saves us to glorify him. We have not just been created, by, uh, created to glorify God. We have been redeemed to glorify God. You see, often we can think that 
this whole Christian salvation thing. We think it's all about us. We think it's all about receiving God's love. And we were so lovable that God stepped down to save us. And, and, and God so does love us. God is so rich in his love for us. But there is a, another thing going on is that God needs to be glorified. And, and the other aspect of our salvation is the fact that God has saved us so that we might glorify him. So that, so that we might be a people who live holy and pleasing lives in response to our salvation and willingly glorify him. That's what the gospel is really all about. And that God is wanting to redeem a people because he loves them and for them to, re- to reciprocate that love through holy and pleasing lives. And John Piper kind of says it this way. He, he kind of coined the phrase Christian hedonism. And a hedonist is someone who kind of lives for their own pleasure. You know, whatever I feel I want to do, I'll, I'll do it. And he kind of coined the phrase Christian hedonism. And he explains it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we satisfy our life with Christ, when we saturate our life with Christ, we enjoy him. Our life is filled with life and goodness and rest and peace and harmony. And it's amazing. And that's our side. But God also gets glorified. It's a win-win situation when you walk with Christ. You live a life that's that beautiful and awesome and redemptive and that God is glorified. So satisfy yourself in God. I'm so pleased that, that Amy and Dan are satisfying themselves in God and I hope that you would do likewise and experience his grace and his mercy. Let's have the band up again and then I'm just going to close in a second. There's another Hillsong that, Hillsong song that I quite like. It's a bit more recent than, than the 1990s. <laughs> and it's called, it's called So Will I. And it talks about how the purpose of creation links with our purpose uh, in worship. Uh, and the words of that go like this. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. You know, creation, creation exists to glorify God. And you know, it, it obeys his every command. And yet we are the only objects of creation that don't. <laughs> and yet we are, we, are, we, are the, we are the pinnacle of creation, and yet we are the great... Humanity is the great disappointment of creation because we refuse to obey. We refuse to submit to God. But yet that is redeemed and that is resurrected and that is turned on its head in the gospel because he gives us that ability and that power to obey him and to live lives that are so beautiful and glorifying to him. So I encourage you tonight to think on your life and to think, how do I need to glorify God and receive more of his power, more of his love, more of his mercy into your life? And it's likely the thing that you need to obey him in more. Let me pray for you guys and we'll have a bit more time in worship. Let's stand, shall we?